0: Hi guys and gals, this little show is called 365 Honest Questions About the Bible. I am today and will continue to be your long-suffering host, Dante Stack. Today we are on question 46, entitled, What is faith? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. And the reason I'm alluding to that dance song from the 90s, What is love? is because this question, which I thought was going to be so easy to do, has turned out to be a monster. And I have come into the booth here to... Booth, I say booth. I've come into the closet to record this episode four times now. This is my fourth time. I think we're finally going to be able to capture the essence of the question, but it's been long and grueling. And this very simple question, what is faith? Man, it's really knocked my socks off. That's a weird expression. Anyway, come join me in my relative despair over this question. Music, take us in. Okay, so, if you recall, last episode, question 45, we did on... What is the size of our faith? And we looked at Jesus and his statements about if you have faith like mustard seed, you can move mountains. And in reviewing that passage, it kind of led me to the simpler thought of what actually is faith itself? And I have to admit, I had a certain motivation in wanting to do a podcast episode on that question. But wait, hold the phone here. In my previous attempts to record this episode, I had this thesis statement. It was kind of where I was going to drive the episode towards. And that thesis statement is this. I'll just state it here because I no longer hold to it. That initial thesis statement is... Faith is either so complex that we ultimately can't understand it, or so fundamentally simple that no definition of it is necessary. That's where I thought I was going to take the episode. But now I don't feel that way. Put it bluntly, I feel that faith equals an active belief. That belief is more or less a synonym of the word faith. Alright, now let's go in reverse. That's where we're going Faith equals belief. That's our trajectory. And then once we're there, we'll talk about the second part of this question. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more and why that applies to this idea of faith. But we gotta back up. So, how have I come to this conclusion? First, let's discuss what I wanted to attack, more or less. And I wanted, in doing this, I had this presupposition, right, that most Christians, or a majority of Christians, or many Christians, however you want to put it, have a wrong perception of what faith is and the role faith plays in our salvation and in our life. And to give you an example of what I thought people's perception of faith was, is the third act of the movie Homeward Bound. Do you remember Homeward Bound? I watched it on VHS many, many, many times as a child. And it revolves around these three pets, two dogs and a cat. And each one of these three pets belongs to a little child owner. And the animals get lost and have to go on this adventure in the California wilderness. And there's a young mutt dog, an older golden retriever, and a Himalayan cat named Sassy. And as a kid, we had an older golden retriever, Glory was her name. So I always related to, you know, the plight of this older golden retriever in the story, named Shadow, by the way. And right at the third act, after the animals have escaped the pound and escaped grizzly bears and porcupines and all these things going over a waterfall... They're at the home stretch, of course, and they're going through, like, a railway station or something like that, and Shadow, the old golden retriever, falls into a deep mud pit, and once he's in there, he doesn't seem to be able to get out, and Chance, the younger dog, even jumps down into the pit and tries to encourage Shadow, like, you just have to jump out, you just have to jump out, and Chance, being young and full of energy, can jump out easily. Shadow, however, cannot, and it appears that Shadow's leg is broken, and if I'm recalling correctly, he even says something like... I'm too old, I can't make it, something ridiculously cliche like that. The scene cuts away from the animals, cuts away from the protagonists, and you're just left with Shadow in this pit, and the other two are like, okay, maybe, I guess we'll go on, and it's sad. And then the movie ends, I believe the last scene of the film, in the backyard of the family, and the three children are, you know, still emotional and sad because their pets are gone. And then far off, at the horizon line, Out of the woods comes sprinting Chance, the young pup. And he runs up and he's so happy. He runs into his little boy owner's arms. And he's licking him and everything's good. And then Sassy, the Himalayan cat, comes. And then the older boy, whose dog was Shadow, the golden retriever, looks out and he's looking and he's looking and he's hoping... And then the boy says something like, oh, Shadow was too old. He could never make it that far. Of course, the movie's wanting us to believe that Shadow is still stuck in that pit. Until right at the last moment, of course, because this is a Disney film, suddenly Shadow comes out of the woods and he's hobbling because I guess he's got a broken leg or something. But he's made it. And then everyone's happy and the end of the film ends with this narration by Chance, the young dog. And Chance says, it was Shadow's faith that got him out of that pit. His faith in his boy. And I want to gag on that idea. That type of faith makes me gag. Because the movie very explicitly shows us that Shadow couldn't get out of that pit. He tried various times. Did he not have faith in those first few efforts? And then suddenly, when the camera's not on him, he gets faith? No, faith in this context was a cheat. The movie uses faith as a cover-up. The movie's admitting to us, yeah, we know this is impossible, highly improbable, and we're not even going to show you how physically this could be done, because it can't be done. So we're just going to say faith did it. You see, I have this fear that faith is an illogical thing. And I relate to atheists and non-believers who look at Christianity and point their finger at it and say, you're just believing in magic. You know, there's a great chasm from one side of the mountain to the other side of the mountain. And the other side of the mountain has Jesus and swimming pools and a bounce house. And you're saying, okay, maybe reason builds you a bridge that gets you halfway over that chasm. But this elusive faith, this illogical belief system, gets you the rest of the way? They cringe at that, and I cringe at that too. I want my trust in God to be something meritable, something that holds water. Otherwise, what separates my belief from like a Mormon belief? I know I throw Mormons under the bus a lot on this show, but that's because Mormons begin at the same place Christians do, and then they add on, and suddenly there's Israelites in the 10th century living in America and fighting wars in America, and there's all these historical deviations, which to me makes it seem very, very illogical, and counter-rational thinking. So I pick on them. Uh, I apologize if you're Mormon and you're offended. Don't hold it. Well, how could you not hold it against me? You're going to hold it against me. Anyway, that's not the point. What I'm expressing is when I started looking up this question, I was sure I was going to find an answer that wasn't that faith was this illogical system, this final third of an equation that gets one from unbelief to belief. I guess, to put it bluntly, I wanted faith to be more than belief. I wanted true faith to be very separated from what we kind of understand blind faith to be. Well, first off, the dictionary itself doesn't really agree with me. Merriam-Webster's definition of faith is simply a strong belief or trust in someone or something. And right off the bat, if you're a Bible student or you know your Bible pretty well, you're probably looking at me... (laughs) looking at me through your iPod or whatever, and thinking, Dante, why is this even a question? The Bible explicitly tells us what faith is. In fact, there's a whole chapter of the New Testament essentially burdened with trying to describe faith. That comes in Hebrews chapter 11. It starts, and I'll read it, Hebrews chapter 11, 1. Now, faith is... The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And the writer of Hebrews goes on through Old Testament history to talk about instances of when faith was applied. So there's our definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The only problem with that is it's hard to actually grasp what that sentence means. In fact, the further I tried to investigate that, the more convoluted it became. Gregory Boyd, who wrote The Benefit of the Doubt that I talked about last week, he says the Greek word that my translation calls assurance should be more accurately translated as substantiating. So he would say, now faith is the substantiating of things hoped for. Uh, hmm. From what I gather, this concept of substantiating goes to substantiate Boyd's claim that imagination is important in prayer and in our relationship with Christ. That we have to imagine what the reality of the gospel is in order to kind of walk into it. But that's like a really complex and weird thought that, I don't know, faith is thrown around so consistently, especially by Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, that it seems like it should have a simple definition. Now here's where things get a little tougher for me, is if I start throwing synonyms into this chapter, if every time in Hebrews 11 I use the word belief instead of faith, It works out pretty well. You come away with the same understanding of the text. Oh, and I should mention, while he's going through and talking about the history of faith, chapter 11, verse 6 states, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there's kind of three statements locked up in that sentence. One, You have to have faith in order to please God. Two, in order to come close to God, to seemingly be in relationship with God, you have to believe that he exists. And three, you have to believe that he rewards people who seek him out. So it almost seems in this context that the writer is defining faith as two specific types of belief, belief in God that he exists and belief that he'll be good to us if we seek him out, that he wants to be in relationship with us. It's hard for me reading that not to come away with that takeaway, that faith equals essentially two beliefs. Am I wrong in that? Do you see any gaps in my logic? I'm not sure. Furthermore, looking at the concept of faith, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that it is through faith that we receive salvation. Ephesians 2a, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that this is not from you, but it is a gift of God, so that no man can boast. Okay, so we kind of have a blueprint for salvation. You receive salvation by receiving grace from God, and you receive that by having faith in Him, right? Okay, compare that to John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The equation that one would get reading that verse is that one receives salvation by believing in God. Okay, and now use the synonym game. Throw faith into John 3.16 and throw belief into Ephesians two 2.8. Just... Hang with this and see if it still sounds right. For by grace you have been saved through belief, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, so that no man may boast. Still seems to work. How about John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever has faith in him shall not perish but have eternal life fits perfectly. No problem with that one at all. So I'm struggling now, but I'm still holding off hope that maybe faith equals belief plus something else, right? Like that belief is a part of faith, but it's fundamentally still more than belief. Enter James, the brother of Jesus. So James writes, the book of James that we have in the New Testament, while he's more or less the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And some have interpreted this passage in James chapter 2 as James disagreeing with Paul when Paul says, faith alone gets you salvation. James here seems to be qualifying that statement. I'll start off by just reading what James has to say about faith and salvation. This is James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, quick personal statement here. I don't really see a whole lot of tension here with what James is saying with what the Apostle Paul says. You know, some people say the Bible's giving two contradictory statements. Paul says salvation by faith alone. James says no, by works. I think they're saying the same thing. I think James is saying if it is real faith, then it's going to entail changes in your attitude, changes in your actions. If you really believe the sun burns, if you stay out in the sun all day, you're going to put sunscreen on. But to believe that the sun burns and not to put sunscreen on is ridiculous, unless you're some sort of weird masochist. But anyway, there's a couple of key points I wanna bring out in this passage. The first obvious one is he's talking about faith and how faith without works is dead, and then he throws this line at us. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Well, what does belief have to do with any of this if faith is something different than belief? And more than that, my hope going into this moment was that faith equaled belief plus something. Like I was kind of toying around with the idea that faith equaled belief in action. Like that belief maybe was passive and faith was active. Like I am actively choosing to believe. But here in this passage, James is saying a passive faith is useless. You have to have works in order for your faith to be real. Well then if that's the case, if there is such a thing as passive faith, then that's self-contradictory if faith is supposed to be active in its definition. I'm sorry, I kind of like need a flow chart or I need a whiteboard to be writing this down, but this is audio, so I don't have that. (laughs) Once again, let me go through this passage in James and I'll use synonyms again. Instead of the word faith, I'll supplant and use the word belief instead. And instead of belief, I'll use faith, okay? So just listen and then we'll see if there's a different meaning that comes out. If faith and belief are not synonyms, then there should be a different feeling, should be a a difference between these two readings, right? Right, Dante. Good. Thank you for that affirmation. Here we go. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has belief but does not have works? Can that belief save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also belief by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have belief and I have works. Show me your belief apart from your works, and I will show you my belief by my works. You have faith that God is one. You do well. Even the demons have faith and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that belief apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that belief was active along with his works, and belief was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by belief alone. Mark me if I'm wrong here, but for me, reading the passage that way makes the passage clearer. Isn't that weird? So, here I am, and I've come to the conclusion that I didn't want to conclude. That being that faith is belief. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. And here's where this whole thing gets scary. Example one. I recently read an article that came up on Drudge Report that scientists have found the center of our brain that is most active when we have thoughts about religion. And using experiments, they've, like, shined a laser at it or something, and knocked that belief out. (laughs) So there's at least a possibility, maybe more tests will be done, and this will be proven untrue or something, but for the time being, it appears that by a physical action, your belief in God can be snuffed out. Can't you imagine, like, a totalitarian, communist, atheist society coming in and strapping you down to a seat and zapping belief out of you? And then what do you do? You wake up and you're like, ah, well, I don't feel this way anymore. Because, of course, our belief is is as much a feeling, right? It's an emotional part of us as well as it is a logical part of us. So, again, this is an instance where I'd like to think that faith is distinct from belief, right? Because if you could knock my belief in God, you know, somehow physically out of me, I would like to think that I still have faith in him, if that makes any sense at all. Maybe it doesn't. But if they're synonymous, if it's gone, it's gone. Secondly, and more disturbingly, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12, Read this way. And I know, this is a really weird, trippy passage anyway, but bear with me. Here we go. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Hear that again. God is sending a strong delusion so that people will believe false stuff, in order that they may be condemned because they don't believe. So at any moment, God may strongly delude you and then condemn you for believing in this false thing. This leaves me scared, like fearful. It's like that song, despite all my rage, I'm a rat in a cage. I can't even control my belief. Scientists are going to zap it out or God's going to delude me. And it's chilling. And I'm a small child here ready just to be hurt by whoever wants to point their finger at me. And I can't do anything about it. What then do we have left? What then do I have left? This is going to sound cheesy, but all I have left is my faith. I have my Merriam-Webster's definition of faith, a strong belief or trust in someone or something. I have a strong belief and trust in God that he's going to be good to me. I don't know if he's going to be good to you. I can't honestly say. Some of you, apparently, he's going to deceive. But at the end of the day, I'm a small kid. I'm a small rat. (laughs) Locked in a cage. I've got no choice here but to have childlike faith and run to God and say, I know, I don't control anything here. I can't do anything for you, God. I can't even choose to believe in you, apparently. But you're the only option on the table, and you're the only thing that makes life have any purpose. What is faith? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Dante Stack signing out. Peace be the journey. Hey, thanks for listening. 365 Honest Questions is produced by myself, Dante Stack. If you like what we got going on here, consider joining our Facebook page, writing me on Twitter at Dante Stack, or checking out our website, DanteStack.com. And don't forget that I produce another weekly podcast. That one's called Solve the World. It's a coming-of-age adventure story in 100 weekly episodes. Finally, if you want to support this show, write a review on iTunes. That's the surest way you can help make sure that this program stays around. Thanks. (laughs)